Hi guys, Sam here, host of the AEW Match Guide podcast. Before we get started on today's episode, I wanted to quickly let you all know that after Double or Nothing 2022, the creation of the second edition of the definitive AEW Match Guide will begin. The first edition sought votes from a diverse group of AEW commentators around the internet wrestling community to collectively rank the greatest matches from the first two years of the promotion's history, and that list is what the matches this podcast reviews is based on. For the second edition of the list that will look at matches between Double or Nothing 2021 and 2022, I'm hoping to cast that net even wider, so I'm hoping to get your support. If you're interested in submitting your votes and weren't involved last year, then please reach out to me on Twitter at Sir underscore Samuel or via email sambrownmedia at gmail.com. And when the time comes, I'll send you out a ballot to get your vote. To celebrate this, for the month of May, we'll be looking at three different matches from previous Double or Nothings, and then in the week before Double or Nothing 2022, I'll be hosting a YouTube live stream previewing the pay-per-view. Looking forward to see you all there. That's it for now though, so let's hit the music and get this show on the road. Welcome to the AEW Match Guide Podcast where we deep dive into the best matches in AEW history. Brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network and your host, Sam Brown. Yes, hello and welcome to the AEW Match Guide Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brown. Thank you for joining me. Every week, alongside a special guest, I take an in-depth look at one of the best matches in AEW history, taken from the definitive AEW Match Guide, as ranked by over 30 wrestling commentators from around the internet wrestling community. If you enjoy the show today, you can subscribe and rate it on your podcast app of choice, and make sure you check out all of the other great shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network that cover all aspects of the world of pro wrestling. My guest for today is a writer for Wrestle In, Libby Cadman, and we're looking at the Elite vs. Inner Circle Stadium Stampede match from Double or Nothing 2020. How are you going today, Libby? I'm doing great, thanks. How are you? Very excited to talk about this match. This is a, a match that... I had penciled in from the start that this is going to be one that I'm looking forward to breaking down. It was an incredible moment in time. It was an incredible achievement given everything they were going through at the time. So, and it's it's something that holds up, I think, holds up to this day. So I'm really looking forward to getting into it. Oh, absolutely. Watching it back two years later, especially where we are now with AEW was very bittersweet, a little bit emotional. Surprising. Uh, just amazing. Well, we won't beat around the bush too much, but as I ask all of my guests here on the AW Match Guide podcast, Libby, how did you get into AW? I think, you know, like a lot of people, I, you know, I followed the elite from, from New Japan over into their new adventure. Um, it, it felt like totally the right right thing for them and it was very exciting and it was sort of a no-brainer that, yep, I was going to be watching AW from now on. It was interesting how New Japan sort of, they kind of wanted to do the American stuff, and obviously Ring of Honor were a presence mm. here in in America. But I guess their ambition didn't match what the elite wanted to do, and we yeah we sort of really see that in full fulfillment today. You know, with a weekly TV show always packing out 4,000, 5,000 people every week, which was just something that neither of those companies were even trying to do, um, and were were scaling to do at all. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You know what? Funnily enough, I was reading the Young Bucks book last night uh, and, you know, they they spoke about what it was like, that split 
um and it's quite emotional in a way and you know it really felt like the elite and what they wanted to do and new japan went on the same page and it was time for something new and, uh, and different and you know it, it i think it's only been for the better i think everyone has had to up their game since AEW started and it just made total sense that you know this was this was a thing for them it's interesting you mentioned that that's not something it's very common that people have got into aw that way that's exactly the same thing for me but it's mm. not something we've talked about how um with any of the other guests how that would have actually been very difficult for them uh yeah. given that you know it talk about a mutually beneficial relationship like new japan really gave particularly kenny omega a platform that kenny omega took full advantage of and brought lots of fans in so and and he would have he was someone who was very invested in himself as a wrestler in japan uh so moving that away and then of course the young bucks they had like they had tried going through tna they had flirted with wwe and been somewhere like rejected by that and so they had to build themselves up and ring of honor were a big part of of giving them a platform to be themselves and to grow themselves and to put themselves out there and so both of these companies that they're leaving are, are companies that have had a leap of faith with them and, and obviously benefited from that relationship but at the same time like you they would have felt a, a sense of loyalty to that oh 100 percent. and and you know the original biggest independent show ever <laughs> you know new japan and, and ring of honor were part of that um huge parts and, of it yeah and it, it couldn't have happened without them but they the young bucks speak about in their book how how they really felt like New Japan wasn't taking them as seriously as the rest of the world. Um, they weren't able to, you know, maybe express themselves in the way they wanted. There was kind of this split with kind of Bullet Club USA, Bullet Club Japan. Mm. And along with Kenny, it, it was just like, you know, things things have got to change. And they were really considering WWE for, for a really long time. And I'm very glad they, they didn't go to WWE in the end. <laughs> um, but it's so interesting because, you know, New Japan definitely felt jilted by it and Ring of Honor they kind of understood but again it was a bit crushing for them but there is this sense of this was always going to happen in a way that you know the elite they've never functioned on a level where they follow the path of everyone else I mean the stadium stampede I think is is an example of that it's such a unique piece Mm. of of uh, wrestling um something like this was was always going to happen in some form it just took you know a tony khan <laughs> a lover of wrestling with a lot of money to sort of link up link up with them um and and now here we are yeah absolutely and neither of us would call aw a perfect company by no. any means but it's it's certainly a company that for myself obviously i do i launched a whole podcast about the company <laughs> So, you know, this is a this is a company that I've really immensely enjoyed and really made me love wrestling in a way that I didn't beforehand. So, yeah, I'm very thankful that that all that all happened. So enough beating around the bush. We're going to get into the match, the Stadium Stampede match um, from Double or Nothing 2020. As we do every single week on the AW Match Guide, I'm going to give the match its flowers. Unfortunately, Dave Meltzer did not rate though, um, because of the cinematic match. He doesn't rate those, the, and and fair enough. Like it's a it's a bit of a different thing that they're doing. Um, but mm. Cage Match gave um, currently rates it at 9.26. 
when we did the AEW match guide back in 2021, looking at the first, the best matches of, across the first two years of AEW, this match came in fourth. Um, so a match that is absolutely beloved by AEW fans. Uh, so uh, definitely a lot to dig into. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll start with looking at the build. Uh, of course, it's the inner circle versus the elite. Uh, and this was a rivalry that was born on the very first Dynamite, very early on. You could even argue it was born in the, the second press conference when Kenny Omega and, and Chris Jericho got stuck into it uh, at the second press conference. But of course, the inner circle came about on the very first episode of Dynamite, beating up the elite and and becoming, I guess, the major team to rival the elite uh, in their promotion. And they were particularly strong and particularly influential in the feud that Cody Rhodes had with Chris Jericho. Of course, there was some large multi-man things and lots of big brawls at the end of the Dynamite programs. Uh, and then they were used for for stepping. The inner circle were used as stepping stones for John Moxley to use to get to Chris Jericho in his program leading up to Revolution in 2020. Libby, what were your first impressions of the inner circle and the initial impact they had in AEW? Hmm. Well, I was interested for sure. I think factions are very important. Um, alliances, friendships, you know. All those things, all those relationships are what really drive, you know, anything towards actual matches. So having the inner circle, I think, was great. I really enjoyed, you know, the the fact that this gave a platform for Satana and Ortiz, um, as well as Sammy Guevara. Um, and I think it, it just made sense, really, um, for them. And I definitely felt like Jericho, he wanted to come in as a heel. And the elite, they really like no no matter what they were gonna do, they were gonna be faces. Do you know what I mean? Oh like, yeah, the first year they were not gonna get they were not gonna get booed. <laughs> there was no not, chance. Like, not a chance. And I think that was actually incredibly hard for them. Um, I think they felt a lot of weight um, in that, and that they couldn't necessarily be the the wrestlers they they were before. So that transition, I think, was interesting for them as well mm. as they definitely felt a sense of. They shouldn't like the elite felt like they shouldn't have got all the wins and the pins. And so it was an mm. interesting time to see us watching like the inner circle and the elite and everyone's behind the elite. But the inner circle are the ones that are really like climbing the rankings, making the impact um, compared to them. So it felt mm. right. It felt natural. It felt like the elite needed that counter faction, that, that counter people everyone had their relationships there as well. You know, like LAX and the Young Bucks. You know, they'd had plenty mm. of matches. Um, Sammy Guevara also was very connected to, to the elite. Mm. Jericho and Kenny have history. And as well as Paige and Jericho, you know, started mm. off AEW with a rivalry. So mm. it, it made total sense, really. Um, and it also sort of opened the avenues, I think, for a lot of fun, creative minds uh, to do something. So I was excited, I think, when, when they first came around. Yeah, it was interesting how Chris Jericho his early thing was almost a very meta thing, uh, meta mm. storyline that he was going for that talking about how AEW was all about him and how he was the one to thank for AEW and how the fans should be thanking him because he's Chris Jericho and he's the one that's brought all of these fans together. He's the one that's brought Tony Khan on board. He's the one that's done all these things. And of course the fans are there. A, a large majority of them, especially early on are there because of the elite. They're there mm. because of, of, what those guys have done on BTE and all of that. So uh, the inner circle was a really good counterbalance to that. And and Chris Jericho's early 
uh, early character and, and what he was talking about was an interesting counterbalance to like the audience narrative and, and what the audience knew to be true. Uh, but with enough truth in it, because of course, Chris Jericho is by far, he was the biggest name to be on board early on and yeah. no doubt brought a lot of attention to AEW, particularly in those early dynamites when he was just creating meme after meme week after week yeah. um, and, and doing some of the best work of his career establishing himself as the champion as the top dog uh and and cody rhodes was just on fire opposite him as the beating heart of the elite uh and of Mm. the promotion uh and that's kind of what this rivalry is born out of because in the we'll get to the video package but one of the questions that the video package asks uh before the match kenny omega says maybe we weren't the ones that were destined to change the world maybe it was you guys all along uh and you know that's a theme that was there right in the very first in the very first press conference when Chris Jericho is there saying we're going to change the universe he's I'm going to change the universe uh, and and he's you know signaling that to himself is like an early tip, tip of the cap a hundred percent and I think there is the inner circle were also important in the fact with Chris Jericho heading it if you were catching AEW for the first time and you didn't know about the elite you probably knew who Chris Jericho was. Mm. Um, and so they're a perfect sort of, um, you know, connecting way for audience who who don't know who the elite are uh, to to learn who they are and what they're about and also be open to them. I think if you hadn't watched them in New Japan, you might really wonder why they're so favoured by, you know, by this audience mm. Um, mm. and by having Chris Jericho and 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 what he brings to the, the product, um, I think also opened people's minds or brought eyes um to the mm. to the elite who, who you might not might not have known you know aw is for people who love the elite but it's also for you know as many people to watch as possible absolutely absolutely and definitely early on there were people who weren't as familiar with the elite as say you or i were who mm. <laughs> you know mm. loved their content consumed bta every week like it was some sort of religious <laughs> religious program <laughs> uh, and you know, dug deep into Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi's, you know, years, years long relationships. Oh, so, truly, um, truly. Yeah. That's a, that's another podcast. We can't get that to. Is, that is a that whole other conversation. <laughs> um, look, the actual, the stadium stampede match, like this is a long and winding road to get there. We've sort of mm. laid the groundwork, but the actual match, of course, originally these guys post-revolution after Inner Circle had their um, had their match with well Chris Jericho had the match with John Moxley that involved all of the Inner Circle and there was of course the tag match between the Young Bucks and Hangman and Kenny uh, these two factions sort of renewed hostilities post Revolution 2020 and were building up originally to a blood and guts match um, that was going to take place when AEW debuted in the New York markets uh, that of course never happened due to the global pandemic shutting everything down. Uh, And then the delays in the pandemic meant changes to what was happening. Of course, we never got a blood and guts match between those guys. Uh, And Cody dipped out of this this program uh, to sort of pursue his own thing and set up the TNT belt. And then he was replaced by Matt Hardy, um, who debuted on the first, I guess we'd call it pandemic or lockdown episode of Dynamite uh, in the main event. He debuted. Uh, with Matt Jackson saying he pulled in a favour. 
Uh, and of course, we had Vanguard One coming in, Matt Hardy appearing and then teleporting uh, that segment. What what did you think of Matt Hardy getting involved and, and Cody not being part of this? You know, I, I, in my mind, this for me is the, the unofficial um, departing of, of Cody from the elite. Um, it, it really felt like this was the moment where the split happened. I think, I don't know if on purpose or what, you know, the TNT title came about, but it's kind of this um, weird kind of liminal time where Cody's mm. not quite there and then by the stadium stampede he's out and it's very interesting to to look on the build-up and see that promo that Cody cut right at the beginning of the pandemic where he Mm. they're prepping for blood and guts and he asks the elite to to sort of stand by him and he goes through them one by one and it makes you believe Cody is more invested in the elite more than anyone at that Mm. time and so it's very fascinating to watch that back compared to where they actually got to by the time it was Stadium Stampede, um, because it, it, the narrative was that they they were down on numbers, right? The, the elite didn't mm. have enough people for this match, um, and and that the whole point of Blood and Guts as well was, um, I believe they were they were fighting to have a numbers advantage as well. Mm. Um, so there's this whole thing, and um, uh, the. Because Nick Jackson was, I'll just interrupt you there. One of the numbers mm. things that you mentioned was Nick Jackson was injured. He got yes. taken out by Revolution. I think that was so he could. Uh, I think his his wife was having a kid or something along those lines. He was he was actually meant to be on leave at that yes. point. Um, and so it was they were down on numbers that way. Uh, but continue. Yes, yeah. Um, and so when it came about that um this whole angle they didn't have enough people um and then it was broken map that was joining them honestly i was very overjoyed like it it felt like a great little little bonus to this it was great for the company it felt right for the for the elite you know they they have a lot of history especially the young bucks with with matt hardy um and you know it, it was a really joyous moment when he showed up um and it kind of you know I think that was the moment it was cemented it was like nope Cody is not going to be involved in this match whatsoever he's not even gonna you know rally behind them uh and it felt like it, it felt good I, I mean I, I was sad Cody wasn't part of it and there was this weird question about what that if he was even connected with them anymore but I feel like bringing Broken Matt in was like a little bit of like a, a an insertion of energy into into what was happening um and you know when matt popped up it was a little bit hokey pokey with the Mm. (laughs) with the cutting him cutting around the stadium but i I loved it i I thought um it was a great addition it it felt right um and it, it felt like it sparked back up this rivalry um because we were in that kind of question mark space what was happening with the elite very much you know the meme with the lady in the maths going on all around her trying to connect the dots so it felt like it anchored it back to Mm. um you know a team versus team and you could see the look on chris jericho's face when when matt hardy was um debuted and brought up and joining the team and he like his face dropped and and uh, you know it was a nice injection of energy into Mm going into Stadium Stampede and the concept that Matt was going to be part of Stadium Stampede, Mm. you knew there was going to be some crazy stuff happening. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned the the Cody promo at the start and how it's kind of getting back to team versus team. Because, but even within that, you still had 
uh, tension within the elite. You had like a lot of mm. unresolved things from that rivalry that Kenny and the Bucks and Hangman all had. Uh, and in, even in that promo, I think Hangman doesn't actually get into the ring. Um, no. cause I, a, a few weeks ago, uh, I, when Cody left, I went back to try and find when the last time all of the elite together were mm. in the ring. Uh, and and were on camera together, and that was the first place I went. But Nick, of course, wasn't there at that point because yeah. he was away. But I know I noted when that happened, um, knowing I had this podcast coming up at some point. Yeah. Hangman didn't enter the ring while Kenny and Matt did. Um, so even then, you've still got this space between them, which is going to go into this match as well, uh, and that's continuing to be emphasised throughout the build-up. With the Matt Hardy stuff, look, I'll be honest, I had a had a little less patience for it than you did. Yeah. Um, I I didn't like the sort of breaking of the realistic universe, and I still don't like that sort of mm. stuff in AEW. I don't think that that has no place in wrestling, but I I don't know. For me, I'm a I, I like to have sort of some sort of level of consistency at least, and that yeah. just pushed things out too far for me. But you know what? Even though I had less patience for it at the start. As we're going to talk about when we get into the match, I, I think it actually worked for this match and in this circumstance because of the everything that's going on and because of the type and the tone of this match, I, I think it works. So even though, like, initially, little stickler over here didn't have a lot of time for it. it no, it, it, makes, it makes total yeah. sense. It's something that if you're going to do it, it has to be done well. And, and yeah. the Stadium Stampede does it well, and I think yeah. that – that's what kind of changes perhaps your opinion or it charms you more um because like i said you know when they did that cutting of matt around the stadium like he was like apparating around it was it was quite hokey pokey and and that i think is it's a natural response to be like yeah i mean i wasn't convinced but i was excited about um the prospects the prospects Mm. of it and and i mean even more than just the transform the teleporting like this guy is saying that he is thousands of a, a spirit that is thousands of years old that is inhabiting the body of this person um, yeah. and has like cosmic superpowers. Uh, I don't know. It, it just was too much for me to deal with it. What is by for all means a real like for all intents and purposes a reality based wrestling program. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. But you know what? Uh, we're, uh, this is not the time to to like debate <laughs> that and have that have that have that uh, full you know discourse about that. Um, because as we said, like it, it actually works in this match. So, uh, and we'll get into that when we talk about that, about the, the match itself. Now I, I sort of brought it up. We touched on a little bit, but I wanted to, to get into it. What did you think of the tension amongst the elite getting into it? I loved it. I loved the tension. Oh yeah. my gosh. I love the drama. It's amazing. Um, you know, this, the, the whole thing with, uh, Kenny and Hangman being a tag team, um, I just I, I absolutely adored it and I loved that they really cashed in on the fact of how that made everybody else feel through that journey um, mm. and I you know I, I was trying to trace you know all of this back and, and really they the elite were never the same um, officially I think after the Young Bucks versus Kenny and Adam I think that was the, the the final straw for them them winning the titles was was that that first sort of taste of tension mm. um and Kenny and Hangman's relationship that was you know so interesting to watch sort of Kenny always reaching for Hangman and uh, wanting that you know that connection and Hangman never quite 
giving it up but so desperate for that validation and that belt at the mm. same time for them to then face the young bucks and be so so self-aware in that ma- I mean you have to talk about that much for ages as well um but they were never the same never the mm. same after that particularly yeah, it's like there was Matt and Hangman it's like there was things that were said in that build-up that couldn't be unsaid and yeah. like at that point I, I honestly think, like, there's going to be a day, and I thought Cody Rhodes would be part of this, um, but I thought there would be a day in, like, you know, five years' time mm. where they do a big story arc to a reunion of the elite, and I thought Cody Rhodes would also be part of that, even though it was clear, you know, that something was not <laughs> quite there behind the scenes for, you know, his final – well, even, like, from this point onwards, he wasn't part of the elite anymore. Um, yeah. But this is straight after that tag match. And, you know, like Kenny can forgive the Bucks for what they've done to him because of like they've got such a deep relate, a much more equal relationship, I guess. Whereas like Hangman, the the rawness of some of the things that were said just couldn't be undone for him. And the feeling was mutual with the Bucks. Uh, And, yeah, I I loved how they the build up played into that, um, but but showed that they would actually have to be able to fight on the same page if they were going to beat the inner circle. Cause in the inner circle, you had a team that was firing on all cylinders and all going the same way, like all pulling the same direction. Uh, Absolutely. As, I think in the video package, as Chris Jericho said, he's like, we never hit our finishes on each other. Um, that's changed, but <laughs> we <laughs> yeah, never hit our, true, we never hit true. our finishes on each other. Like we, we are united. You guys aren't. Uh, and yeah. and I, I love that they had that threat of tension heading into this, even though obviously the ultimate threat is the inner circle. The thing I love about the elite is it's always like complex characters and, and they always have like a continual line of canon. It's not like, yeah. oh, we finished with that program. We're now just going to change and move on to the next one. And this is out the only thing we ever remember. There's, like a consistent line of canon throughout the years between how the characters interact and and what they're remembering and the things they bring up. Uh, and me and Caro talked about that when we talked about the Hangman and Kenny feud and how this was almost a moment of where these two characters sort of get back together a little bit, but um, at the same time, there's there's still that tension going throughout the throughout the whole team. Definitely, and, and as well, like with COVID. Um, you know, the Bucks and Adam, they weren't there for quite a long time. Mm, yep. And they only came back, I think, the dynamite before to save uh, a hilariously, like, torn up. <laughs> Kenny's, like, he's got jorts on and a T-shirt that's supposed to look like it's been torn up, but it's obviously just been sliced in, like, yeah. several <laughs> precise locations. It, he looks ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and so the Bucks and Hangman, they come in to, to save him. Mm. Um, and immediately after they save Kenny, you know, Hangman walks away he walks you know Mm. they're in the field and he walks down the tunnel and and away from them so there was very much this sense as well as like oh you know they're they're back but we're acknowledging that there's been a pandemic we're acknowledging Mm. there's been some space and we're acknowledging that actually they mention it in in the opening bt as well which i thought was very well done and i wish they did Mm. more of these i think these Mm. are so good um that the elite's real enemy is themselves that you know we feel like the elite is probably going to win this and the only way they might maybe lose is by their own self-sabotage by their own Mm. 
per- personal problems between mm. each other. So the stakes are like very, very high for the elite between mm. themselves, let alone just, you know, winning this match. Mm. Yeah. Uh, now, because of the way that the build up happened with, as as we said, the, the Bucks were stuck in the West Coast. They weren't able to to make the Georgia tapings and, and weren't able to travel to Dynamite for quite a while. You had, of course, Chris Jericho there with Kenny Omega and Matt, Matt Hardy. And then you had Hangman Page sort of separated off as well. There's a lot of random stuff happening. Nick and Matt have like a feud at this point <laughs> during yeah. this time. And they have God, a huge yeah. match on the second of the 200th episode of BTE, which is a cinematic match. Uh, we of course had the legendary Chris Jericho versus pineapple Pete rivalry, which was probably the highlight for the Georgia tapings. Yeah. And actually kind and, of important for this. Like it fed into this weirdly enough. Oh, ex- explain how explain, going, going to how. Well, it it just kind of like it it led up to that point of like really cementing Chris Jericho is like like something something about it felt like he was gonna unhinge himself for the yeah, stadium yep. stampede. <laughs> yeah, even though he's no longer champion, he is he's still like quite unhinged and and very aggra- as aggressive as ever. Yeah. yeah, and and then of course we had um uh, a really good street fight between. Kenny Omega and Matt Hardy versus Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara. Was there anything about all of those things that I mentioned that you, you know, you want you, you wanted to bring up or, or you thought struck a chord with you? Yeah. What did you think of it all? Um, yeah, again, it was kind of like this weird liminal time where we were kind of we, we weren't sure who was going to be around, what was happening. And I thought the street fight actually was really good to to bring us back to sort of a narrative thread of the inner circle versus the elite like it felt like it needed that Mm. in there um to remind us that that that's where these tensions lie and especially um that match you know it ends with Kenny basically versus the inner circle um Mm. and that was very important um because the main beef really kind of going through that other than everything going on was the fact that they had put Nick out of action right Mm. And they were kind of holding on to that. And then this felt like it, it was needed to really sort of amp up the volume as to why they would even have mm. the stadium stampede match and to set it up like it was Kenny by himself with the whole inner circle sort of taking him out um, really gave the reason why everyone from the elite needed to come back in and they needed to face mm. each other as teams rather than, you know, again, like a Matt and uh, Kenny versus whoever again. Mm. Um, and also the street fight, I think, set up uh, yeah. a bit of law yep. and a bit of fun that we revisit in the stadium mm. stampede. Um, and it also felt like, you know, to see Kenny doing that stuff, it, you know, it had that, that, whiff of ddt to it um watching him climb that crane and and jump off i was like that's very kotobushi of you yeah um it sort of uh put us in this kind of space as well to be like oh like this is what they can do in a street match Mm. imagine what can be done kind of like for this yeah, like, because we think of Kenny Omega as, like, you know, best bout machine, main event mm. versus Kota Ibushi, Tanahashi, IWGP champion. But, you know, this is a bloke who got his start wrestling in campgrounds. And yeah. <laughs> diving off piers and doing all sorts of wild stuff. I just remember with that beforehand, I can't remember if it was on uh, BTE or if it was on Dynamite, but him, like, being like, I can get in a fight. I'm, I'm a tough guy. Yeah. I can get in a fight. Do I, do I wear jeans? We should wear jeans for this because we're in a 
street fight. <laughs> yeah, there was this whole thing about it was it was Kenny's first real street fight. Yeah. <laughs> um, despite the fact, you know, him going over to Japan was on the basis that he was the king of the Canadian streets <laughs> and everything like that. It was this concept that, like, if you know Kenny from DDT, you've seen him do some pretty wild stuff. Yeah. Um, this concept, the American audience were, were learning this kind of, ridiculous side of Kenny yeah. um and the concept that he'd never done this like on American soil I, I thought was <laughs> was great as well uh and I, I wanted to mention the Nick versus Matt Jackson match because like thinking oh, about yeah. it between between that and the street fight like we should have known that these guys were going to be able to do that these guys knew what they were doing um mm. going into a match like this like that Nick and Matt Jackson thing kind of came from Nick being taken out he wanted a match against Matt to prove that he was ready uh, for this. He was ready to get going and Matt didn't want to have the match. So they, I can't remember why Matt decided someone would get a match against him, but they had like a battle royale with like Brandon Cutler and Scorpio yes. Sky and some other random people from the West coast. They were uh, the on SoCal BTA. people. Yeah. 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 Uh, and, and they had on the tennis courts at the apartment complex or whatever that the bucks live at. I don't know. <laughs> and then, yeah. and then Nick wins it. And and they have this giant cinematic match where they brawl through the condominiums. They have all these like flashbacks, but you get the sort of the, the reason I said I brought it up and wanted to talk about it is you get the sort of blend of like comedy Easter eggs, um, you know, like winks and nudges mixed with like real drama that you can get invested in and that, you know, can make you feel a little bit emotional and, and make you feel, you know, a little bit sentimental and, and get you really emotionally engaged in the match. And from, from that, and as of course you mentioned the, the absolute hilarity and craziness that was the street fight. Uh, we, you know, they really gave us some flags to say, we know what we're doing here. Yeah. We, I, and I don't think like, I personally wasn't worried about it at all. I, I didn't expect it to be the quite the success it was, but we should have said, like, I should have seen. <laughs> the signs, they were all there. Yep, yep, yep. Let's get into the actual match itself. It did start off with a video package. I forgot how good this video package was. I forgot it had even been one. But as you said, like, yeah. it was a really good video package. Really summarised those things we were talking about, those themes of, like, who controls AW, who whose revolution is this? Is this the elites? Is this the inner circles? Uh, and, and as you mentioned talked about the disunity that was apparent and the the tension that was apparent in the elite yeah you said before you you want them to do more of these you know one of the, the things that i love about wrestling is the production side and so i think when it comes to a match a really really good vt can mm. make all the difference it it's what i think sets the tone i think before a match it can make you feel differently before you go in um and and aw has been criticized and i think rightly so for putting together feuds or matches or things and people who don't necessarily know the elite that well or more casual viewers get upset they feel they don't understand or that, that they've not kept up it doesn't reward them and i think a really good vt solves that problem because they're concise they're well edited 
um they they really set um a feeling um and they give you all the information you need before going in like it's that little reminder uh and it sets you up really to remember and see anything particular they might want you to see right so maybe they're going to reference something in the match but if you haven't been following or perhaps you're not you know that invested you're going to miss it and you're maybe going to question that moment so I think these VTs when they use them Mm. and they do them well they make all the difference um and I thought this one was just so good watching it back yeah this was really well produced and they splashed out for the voiceover guy as well that's I don't know who it is but it's it's a guy who I've heard in like big sports documentaries I'm pretty sure I've heard him in movie trailers like they splashed Mm. some cash to get that guy and it, it was good it was really well well spent and and a great setup for the match. Uh, and of course, the match opens with like a drone or helicopter shot going over the stadium uh, and giving a sense of the scale of everything. The fields like done up. There's cheerleaders. There's pyro going off. All sorts of paraphernalia around. It's you know it's set up to have like a big dramatic scale, and we see that right from the start. And then of course we have the entrances. The inner circle come out um, with matching black and red football jerseys. The elite come out with their BTE music. And, of course, there's no Hangman page in the initial entrances. Um, What did you think of the setting, the presentation, and all all of that before the match began? Loved, loved seeing the stadium. Reminded you of its scale, of the grandiosity. Um, Really, you know, it really set up this concept of this cinematic feeling. Mm. Um, And I love that they, they cashed in on the the football feeling of the entrances Mm -hmm. right they had they had them running out onto the field they had the smoke and the fire um and what i thought was really interesting and i think um really leans into these concepts of of unity was the inner circle they all had matching football gear on right Mm. um and they come out and you see them together as one and then the elite come out so Matt and Nick come out. They also have captains. They have team captains, which is really yeah. so irrelevant in this case. So Jericho's the the inner circle team captain, and Matt and Nick are the captains of the elite. And Matt and Nick come out, and then they're in their young bucks gear. And then Kenny comes out, and you go, huh, okay, so they're not in like a matching mm. costume. And costumes for the elite have always been more of a heel thing when they all mm. come out, but they do it. They cash in on on that stuff, and mm. you know. They've all said before they feel like, you know, tag teams should have matching matching gear. They, sh- you know, mm. teams should look like a unit. It's really important to them. So for Kenny to come out in similar colours, but them not to have this whole like football team feel as well was kind of like, huh, interesting. When you look at the teams, what looks like a team, mm. what looks like a football team compared to them, it, w- it was very different. It sort of mm. felt like a deliberate omission in that moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also then, like you said, Kenny came out by himself. There was no hangman. Matt came out. And what was also very interesting was that they were asking Kenny, you know, where's Adam? Where is he? And he, Kenny's just very confidently nods and is Mm. like, no, 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 he's coming. And we know that, you know, later down the line, we get the elite squad. So Mm. this concept of not only do they, they're not, they're not in football gear. They're not Mm. in a team gear as well as hangman's not there it feels like a very sort of tensionous <laughs> tensionous yeah. start for them um yep. you know one team facing the other one looks like a team one doesn't mm. 
yeah, that that sums it up perfectly. You've said everything that I would say in that point. <laughs> all I, all I'd add, all I'd add is that I just love how Ortiz wears a football helmet. Oh my god! <laughs> kind of like, for those kind of like not quite fitting his head because he's got such big hair and it's fluffed yeah. up. Um, it's kind of like sitting clamped down down there. Um, very very funny visual. Um, that I'm definitely not doing justice to. Yeah, um, I absolutely love it. And and also yeah. like uh, it's interesting as well. They're kind of like prepared for a football match, like yep. the, those pads and that helmet and stuff. Yep. That's yep. gonna help them. I also really did love the fact that like Mac Jackson came out with a whole bin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he had a broom, and I was like, amazing. I love this. This is yeah. great. Amazing. Yep. Um, now, getting into the actual match, we're absolutely not going to be able to go into every single detail, but we're going to cover the bigger points. So um, they start out at like the 40 metre lines, or sorry, it's probably like the 40 yard lines, I guess, because it's mm. American, um, and just running at each other full pelt, launching themselves, throwing their weapons and footballs. And it, it's, you know, very chaotic, um, but they still do like a good job of keeping the focus on the spots that matter. And, you know, it's mostly just brawling and double team moves, but they do a good job of not stepping on one another's toes, getting in each other's way. I think one of the the superpowers of the Young Bucks uh, in tag team wrestling is how they structure things so well. And and that's evident in this early, in, you know, this early ongoing, this early bit, which could have just been a complete mess, but isn't. However, honestly, I, I do think this is like the weakest point of the match. Um, yeah. It's before they really do anything of consequence um but at the same time it's like it's necessary to set the table i guess yeah definitely like it's definitely chaotic Mm. (laughs) to start with um and it's also kind of funny that they put a ring in the field it it makes sense (laughs) it's wrestling i guess but fools count anywhere and nobody gets in the ring um uh and they do later they do they do after they do they do go into the ring certainly not initially yeah um, but they start outside and then mm. the young bucks kind of take it to the ring. Mm. Um, so it, it's definitely um, it, it makes sense, you know, at the beginning. Um, but I think when when it really kind of hits its moment is when we first see Hangman on the horse. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's like the first sort of out of the box moment where <laughs> you get like just the perfect shot of it as well, because it's set mm. up with um, Sammy Guevara, a shot of him. And he sees Hangman, and of course we've had the beautiful stun shot of him seeing the car that's about to drive at him during the during the street fight, and he has yeah. that same look on his face. Uh, and then it cuts to Hangman on a horse charging him down. What an entrance! Uh, it just it's so good, and it's the it's the moment where we stop watching it like a regular match. The the shots mm. aren't the same. It's mm. not the hard cam and the camera's close and what you know whatever it's for the first time like a framed Mm. cinema feeling shot of catching sammy turn around and his mouth drop but then to cut you know against hangman on a horse it feels like that's the moment where we move from okay this is Mm. wrestling to like oh this is something else yeah but they do it very very smartly in that Mm. they're sort of easing the audience into this like almost alternate reality we're going to be living in for the next half hour or whatever in that like hangman's ridden a horse in AEW before that's how he made an entrance for the biggest match of his career at the time at all out 2019 and of course we've seen Mm. Sammy Guevara have that stunned look and and 
be chased away by something in a very comical manner uh, in the the street fight in the lead up. So it's it's a great way to like just softly ease the audience and and change the tone and move us into where we're going to be for the rest of the the rest of the match. And props to Semi Guevara the way he just like just makes a beeline off the road hangman chases him down yeah (laughs) it's like with the benny hill like arms Mm. like flapping as he runs i just that was that was so good uh yeah i love that yeah and then of course we go back to the ring with the remaining wrestlers um as i said like this is essential for getting us for moving us off we need to have this bit beforehand we see we saw in 2021 what it looks like when they don't have this part and it was not as good. Um, and I think part of that is straight away you're in like this weird space. Whereas in this, they're having a match, they're hitting wrestling moves. They're all hitting each other's finishes, you know, like Guevara turns and hits huge, two huge shooting star presses. And we get like the typical double team maneuvers and, and things like that. Yeah. As I said, like it's so it's, it's the weakest part of the match, but it's so essential at the same time. A hundred percent. And I think it's also important to note that Hangman does not join them in the ring. Mm. He has his own vendetta as well that's going on. So again, they're, the the elite were also down on numbers in that sense as mm. well. Um, and it, it definitely brings us back to like the situation where we are. And I think, you know, those big moves uh, mm. sort of, taken them they've gone into the ring the shooting star presses you know nick he jumped mm. i think he jumps top rope does a beautiful flip um it brings us back out of the ring as well mm. makes sense for us to leave that space to move on to the next thing mm. so we've established the wrestling we've done that bit and now we're moving out again but we're doing it via wrestling moves so yep. it keeps yeah it keeps the thread going I want to, yeah. I, I feel, I feel like it's worth stressing how important that is, particularly when we're going to compare it to other cinematic matches down the line. Um, so just make sure, people listening, make sure you remember this point. <laughs> Write that down. Um, but things do sort of, they, they do start to break up. So you get, um, Omega and Hardy heading off with Santana Ortiz and Hager, and then Jericho and the Bucks, sort of brawling off. Um, the next major thing we see is. Matt Jackson climbing the uprights and hitting a moonsault off them after brawling with Jericho, hitting a moonsault off uh, onto uh, Jericho, Sammy, and and Nick Jackson, and Nick Jackson, his brother, really high, like surprisingly high up, and a, a, a pretty impressive feat of balance from from Matt Jackson there. Yeah, a hundred percent. And what's funny as well is in the VT beforehand when they're like cutting between all the members of the elite uh, and what they're saying matt says nick will jump off the freaking field go post and we we won't <laughs> give an f and lo and behold it's matt jackson that climbs the field yeah. goal um and does it and it's also like, he does a little prayer before which i just thought is just so so them um yeah. and it's uh I think it's such a good it's a good moment for us to to move away from the ring as mm. well. Like we've and we've moved there through wrestling. They've mentioned, you know, on commentary that there are 18 cameras filming this mm. match. Um, and it feels like the first time we're breaking into scenes um, mm. rather than watching a match. We've got now two mm. halves of the field and this is, you know, this scene is happening mm. and there's going to be a separate scene somewhere mm. else I, I think it was a really nice way to, to start that first concept of yeah a scene 
um, out of the ring into a different place and also using the football field, which is exactly mm. what you want to see. Yeah, absolutely. Fitting with the setting uh, that, they're, that they're in. Um, we, we cut. We see Hangman on his horse yelling out, still looking for Sammy Guevara. He obviously lost track of Sammy um, running around. Uh, but instead he finds a bar and enters that. We then cut back and we see Omega, Hardy, Santana, Ortiz, um, who've brawled to the upper levels. Jake Hager somehow got lost at that point. I don't know how that happens, but somehow yeah. he got He's, he's pretty thick. He, uh, I blame Hager on that one, to be honest. Um, <laughs> uh, and... And this is where we really get into sort of the the falls count anywhere silliness section of things. Uh, uh, And we get barricades, garbage cans, Proud and Powerful gets like some salt in the eyes of Omega, slam him into the guardrail, and then before that they power, then they powerbomb Omega through that guardrail onto concrete. It it gives like it gives me like real um real like attitude era falls count anywhere vibes um those yeah. sort of matches that they would have those just like chaos everywhere and omega's like we'll, we'll see later how crazy he is but like this is early warning he's he's just he's he's willing to do anything oh 100 as soon as they they went up there um which i really enjoyed how they got up there as well using the cones the fact that it just cut to, to kenny smacking on ortiz with a with a cone yeah. just was like made me laugh so much and it called back to the street fight there are a lot of cones in the street yeah. fight um and i knew as soon as they were up there and as soon as i saw the guardrails i was like kenny's gonna go through one of those it's just yeah. so him it's just he's gonna do it he's what's gonna happen i was like he's gonna get a load of offense in and it's gonna look like he's gonna put someone through that guardrail but it's gonna be kenny i know it's gonna be kenny and lo- <laughs> it was kenny and it was also like a very like solid heel face moment you know mm. like very much like santana yelling like i'm about to take out the trash to then be mm. thrown into the bins himself yep yeah. Um, and it, it just kind of taps into that kind of uh, mad genius that these guys share that moment. Mm. And it, it just feels it, it feels like it makes a lot of sense as well, because I think what happens throughout Stadium Stampede is that it becomes it, it revisits that idea of it's a numbers game. Um, mm. And throughout what we start to see is that the elite's game plan is to sort of take one member out at a time. Mm. And it's also important that, you know, to be able to move to another scene, um, it's got to make sense why we leave that one. And it's also got to make sense why everyone's not involved in that next scene. Mm. So putting Kenny through that rail gives a reason for Kenny to be out for a bit and for us to move to different people. Yes. And move on, we shall, because this is where like the magic kicks in for me. Uh, this was the first, we're moving on to Matt Hardy and Santana Ortiz. There's a shallow pool and Santana Ortiz oh, wow. grab him. They throw him into a pool. Santana Ortiz dives straight in after him. Ortiz is a bit afraid because apparently he doesn't know how to swim. Um, yeah, apparently he's in water. <laughs> heels in in uh in aw never njf can't swim or t's they're like swim. they're like ps2 video game characters <laughs> truly maybe they should you know go get some swimming lessons together have a group <laughs> therapy session you know yeah. it seems to be a trend but then of course we get santana ortiz holding matt hardy down in the water but he transforms it somehow the lake of reincarnation water is in there and he transforms into the different versions of himself we get you know the different costumes at this point we get different graphics on the screen um we even get like the funniest little cut to him 
from the side, you can see him while oh, he's under the water. water. He's signalling to the to the camera. Livy, this was like the first real laugh out loud moment for me, especially, you know, when they see you bugging to the camera. <laughs> oh, my, it's so good. Um, the concept as well that there's a camera there <laughs> yeah. like ready to film that. Yeah. It's hilarious to me. Um, the, the fact that the, the the matter of fact graphic pops up and it lists oh, all the different maps. And Santana yeah. and Ortiz sell it like it's a physical thing around them. And they're like gesturing as if like, that's happening in real life i loved it they just really went uh you know there's a line we're gonna cross it now <laughs> you know yeah like this is this is the place to do this stuff. it works yep. for for matt it works for broken matt it, it's that character is the environment for mm. this bit and it's also a perfect little bit of like pantomime in there as yep. well like it, it's just this little space that it's ridiculous and it's amazing and I love it. And I think whether you knew who Matt was or whether, you know, you weren't particularly bought in or, on, on Matt being part yeah. of it, but you loved that bit, you know, there's mm. something yeah. so silly about it. That's really charming uh, and really like immerses you in, in that moment. And one thing I wanted to bring up as well is a production element. The commentators at this point, the commentary track for this is so perfectly like it's it's so done so well balancing levity um and the humor and balancing the stakes of it and, and still putting it over as a big deal and at this point both excalibur tony and jr just burst into laughter yeah and it, it's like a release valve like you hear them laughing uh and and you can't help but follow them along with it uh and Give, to give them their credit, like JR has sometimes he is a bit grouchy on commentary, yeah. but he didn't let that be the case in this because he knew what this this match needed. And Excalibur, as I said, Excalibur and Tony, they literally just burst out laughing when the bat fat comes up. Uh, and Excalibur's oh, like tripping all over his words because he's just thinking it's so funny. Uh, and it, it just sells the wackiness and allows the audience to go with them so perfectly, but not in a way that like undermines the stakes at the same time. And as I said, it's really well done. And then, of course, there is like a clap track and there's there's booing and there's chanting and there's clapping underneath it as well which just helps the atmosphere of the match as well even though obviously they're doing it in an empty environment um that and it wouldn't have been present while they were doing it you go along with it because of the way they've set things up and because of the the way the commentators are allowing you to go with it as well you, you can match what they're doing um so so perfectly done by the commentators and that's something that will continue on throughout but i wanted to bring it up at this point because i noticed i definitely noticed them just completely cracking up when the mat yeah, came up. yeah definitely and it definitely felt like JR wasn't completely on board until maybe this moment. You know, he he had a couple of comments earlier on, and you kind of go, okay, JR. Mm. And then to, for for them to sort of fully buy in in this moment, it, it made all the difference. And like you said, that crowd noise, like if that if there was you know real crowd there, they would get absolutely mental at that part. So mm. it felt very natural uh, mm. at that time to hear that compared to you know maybe different parts of the match. Mm. Um, and also what I find hilarious about this moment is that it's just accepted that Santana and Ortiz are trying to legitimately drown Matt Hardy. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> they're just okay with it. They're like, oh yes, they're just trying to murder him, of course. And the well, fact if that dead, Matt... I'm sure he would kick out at three, so <laughs> yeah. 
they had the fact like on the matter of fact that like Matt Hardy can hold his breath for like 300 and something seconds and oh really oh I missed that and, oh that's fantastic and when they get out of the pool that Matt Hardy's just led there face down in the pool and the commentary team are like well I guess they're just leaving him for dead and it's just like okay yeah okay then sure <laughs> last thing I'll say is just amazing performance by Ortiz again just the way he like flounders around in the water oh, um so hilarious good. um the little steps he because yeah but you mentioned that like Santana he dives in but Ortiz goes to the it's a three-foot pool they say mm. this the commentators say it's a three-foot pool Santana goes up to the little steps and takes yeah. like the teeny tiny steps down into the pool it's like a Mr. Bean bit yeah exactly and it, it really just like it sets you up really to to see matt hardy uh come back up and take them out because they really yeah. did the pantomime villain mm. bit there um yeah as i said hardy emerges he set out of the pool sets up ortiz on a table and then goads santana into charging at him and he then back body drops santana over his head onto ortiz through the table um he then puts ortiz in a bell that's nearby he rings it and ortiz sells it like he's having a seizure or something yeah it's like he becomes unable to control his yeah. body um he grabs a chair of wheels and then duct tapes ortiz to it yeah it, he, he, says, uh, he prescribes him uh an aftercare plan which is yeah. which is to rest <laughs> in that chair and then he just kind of wheels him off yep and that's the last we see of ortiz he's, he's done for the night yeah <laughs> um and then of course brawling with santana lock him in the ice chest which is a throwback to the street fight where those guys locked matt hardy in the in an ice chest uh and this is the last we see of proud and powerful yeah just overall what did you think of this sort of stanza of of the match i loved it it was ridiculous uh it felt right um uh, it was <laughs> it's really fun you know i've never been to a football stadium so i was like okay there's a pool there okay there's a giant bell sure okay there's a wheelchair <laughs> and an ice cabinet okay yeah um but i was completely bought in on it at, at this point because they're you know as we said they transition through these moments from wrestling to these you know cinematic mm. or, or comedy bits um so by the time we got to this bit you know it felt it just felt fun and exciting and and just totally made sense and mm. you know they talk about the fact that the pool the pool has water from the lake of reincarnation yeah. in it and like and that's why you didn't die and it's just like it rewards you if, if you know that stuff and if you don't there's the tidbits there for you mm. um it, it just felt like that the match really took off from that point mm. and i suppose this is where maybe you would say okay now we're in cinematic yeah. territory yeah, this was like the most pure, silly portion of the match. Um, mm. You know, it didn't do anything really for any of their characters or something or anything, which we'll, we will see later. But, you know, as we said, they sort of edged, edged people up to the cliff and this is them just like getting pushed off and you're free falling in in these guys cinematic style and it, it just works so perfectly this is my favorite presentation of matt hardy ever in aw and and santana and ortiz were just incredible with the way they sold things in this as well yeah um, the commitment the commitment yeah. i think is what makes yeah. these bits they were a hundred percent in it and yeah when they're having fun you can feel it. You can really feel it, and that's all you really want for the, for the wrestlers that mm. you you watch. You want them to having to be having a good time, and that's you know rewarding in itself. Mm. And and Santana Ortiz, they're like an act that like 
in its time when it wants to be can like just drip with the authenticity of just being so tough. You know, I reviewed the parking lot fight mm. a number of episodes ago and, and those guys, when they want to, they can look like just mean, serious killers. But in this, they were happy to just, to, as we, as you said, play the pantomime villain. Props to them for just being willing to go with it and and go with the tone of the match that, that they needed, even if it ran, you know, counter to how they would normally present themselves. Now, of course, the next focus we get to is Hager, Jake Hager, who finds mm. the bar that Hangman is in. He sits down next to Hangman at the bar. Hangman pours him a whiskey and said, did you come here to, f- to drink or did you come here to fight? Um, turns out came here to do both. And they start brawling. Hangman uses his agility to pull off some, you know, acrobatics around the pool table and the the bar before Hager finally catches him, slams him um, on the pool table, drives him down the bar like full Western style, and then gut wrench power bombs him through a table that's nearby for a two count. Uh, this is the best Hager has ever looked in AEW, in my opinion. Mm, yeah, definitely. I mean, it is such a. I, I think I maybe love this bit more than you know, the broken mat segment. I think yep. there's something about this that's really special. Mm. Uh, and it's the first thing when I think of this match is actually the first thing that, that always comes to mind. The bar and brawl, yeah. Well, um, Omega, of course, comes in uh, to Hangman's aid. The pair shatter like, I don't know, like six or seven bottles of the bubble, a little bit of the bubbly on Hager's head before Kenny hits a V-trigger and then bends over for Hangman to hit a buckshot lariat off Kenny's back. In a move that Hangman would eventually do in 2022 to retain his AEW championship against Lance Archer. Uh, but that when I resaw that spot after having seen the obviously after having seen this Lance Archer match, I just went boof. That blew my mind <laughs> that that popped up again. Uh, galaxy brain. They're always they're always pulling out these Easter eggs. They're always doing this. The Elite are. Uh, and after the the pair dispose of Hager, Hangman pours Omega a glass of milk. Omega pours Hangman a glass of whiskey and they cheers before drinking and then walking off a unified team once again. You said this was your favourite part of the match. Why? It's just, it's, not only is it fun, it's just absolutely dripping in story and tension. Mm. And I think it's really important that, you know, even before the the segment where Kenny went through the guardrail, we saw Hangman on his horse alone he could you know the concept Mm. that he could probably hear what's going on but he chooses not not to get involved and he sees Mm. the sign for the bar and stops looking for sammy hilariously tells his horse to stay like a dog um (laughs) (laughs) and go to the bar i mean it is i mean he hasn't contributed to the match at all um there's this sense that hangman could be the reason they lose Mm. this yep um for the stakes to feel that high in that moment, like is Hangman even, we all know he's going to fight, but is he going to fight from the right place? You know, he's really in this space of not connected. He, he's got mm. this real otherness to him and, and it, it's very bitter and sour and, and we know mm. he can go, but he mm. only really goes when it comes, you know, th- those titles and mm. keeping Kenny on that edge to, to want to be mm. the tag team champions with him is the only thing that's keeping him going. Mm. This match essentially means very little to him. Mm. So when we come back, so when we come to the bar, hilariously, 
the horse is still there (laughs) (laughs) and we come in and we see hangman at the bar and it it is you know the classic western shot and Mm. they do have this sense of dialogue is it is is really great it's it's that moment that that is cinema in that moment you Mm. know what i mean like that is it's very right for this moment uh and to know that okay is this the moment where Hangman's going to get involved? And, you know, lo and behold, he does. But he really takes mm. a beating from Hager here as well, which I think is quite important that we know Hangman can go. We know he's very good. Mm. Um, and he's completely fresh, right? Hager's already mm. been fighting in this match. But mm. Hager really gives it to Hangman. Mm. It, in For all intents and purposes, Hangman should be ready to absolutely crush Hager. But he's not, you know, he's, he's checked out. And when he says you know did you come here to fight or did you come here to drink and then goes honestly what's the difference it's like oh my god like Mm. oh that just it just says so much Mm. uh you see hangman as well like through that he's so athletically gifted you know he's Mm. he's flipping around to to leaping off everything yeah and but it's not for offense it's for defense mm. as well like we know hangman can do a you know a standing shooting star press we've seen it he's not doing it um and so we really get this this sense of oh wow you know hangman really can't he's not what's the word I, I, he's not fully he's not invested he's not invested but he also there's a part of him that's just can't he can't fight this and you sort of wonder mm. is is he going to actually take a pin here or something? Mm. You know what I mean? Like he, he's really not. And Hager does go for the pin. Um, but of course it's hangman. He can't accept the loss. He's really in this place where losing is, is just way too intense for him. He needs mm. to feel like a winner. So of course he kicks out, but you, you see, he's just like, absolutely just from this section, just absolutely decimated by it. Mm. Um, and when he goes through that table, I mean, shout out to the drink that beautifully like flies into the air, <laughs> the perfect sort of semicircle movement that it just felt like I was like, that is just like a beautiful, like shot, mm. just a beautiful coincidence that only happens in well-planned segments. Yeah. And well-planned shots and thoughts and pace, placing props mm. in the right place. So you really got this sense of the, it's a really complete moment, you know. It's it's very yeah. well thought out. Uh, and for Kenny to come around the corner and sort of save him uh, was also very big because at no point did Hangman feel the need to leave the bar and go help. But Kenny, who's gone through a guardrail, <laughs> has mm. managed to get up, go through the stadium and work out where they are uh, and save him. Uh, and it just feels like a very important moment for Hangman mm. and Kenny particularly. We know yeah. in this match, Kenny's still fighting. He's still trying that connection. He's not given up on his tag team partner. He doesn't mm. want to give up on them. He doesn't want to give up on the elite. I mean, he says in the VT, like, you know, if we lose this, I don't know what that means for us. Mm. But, but Adam's not in that same place. Uh, and to see him come through, uh, you know, Kenny come through for Adam was very much like, oh, is, is this going to, yeah. you know, what's this going to mean? And then, you know, Adam finally turns it on once Kenny's there. And again, that says mm. so much about them that Adam is not, he's too deep in his own feelings to fight for himself. 
But mm. this concept of the tag team and this connection with, with Kenny and keeping him at that arm's length but not letting him go is important. And so finally, mm. Hangman does rise to the occasion um, with all of that kind of tandem bottle smashing. Mm. Like yep. you're like, oh, OK, so these it. guys. Yep. They will work together. Like they they're will getting do on it. the same page. Yeah, they're on the same page, and that's only when they can take out Hager. That's mm. only when they're able to actually take out this big guy. Is them working together, um, and and just the V trigger into that buckshot mm. lariat, all that movement. It was just so like, good. oh, it's, it was just so good, and tells you so much that despite all their differences, these guys, mm. they have this special blend and it's also important to note that Kenny doesn't necessarily contribute to that that finisher he's the the platform for Mm. Hangman to be his best literally he bends over and acts Mm. as a platform for him to do that and I think that speaks volumes as well and the fact that they share a drink you Mm. know at the end of that is just great and again tells you so much that despite all their differences Kenny doesn't drink he doesn't go to bars you know that's mm. not his character but he will stand at a bar with Hangman mm. and have a drink and, and Hangman will lean into it of course there's a, a liter of milk behind the bar of course <laughs> there is and Adam knows exactly where it is yeah <laughs> and the cheers bud and the cheers baby from Adam you kind of go like oh god like uh, despite all of this despite Adam being so checked out and this brawl mm. and he almost really just eating the dust this mm. kind of feeling that if Kenny comes through, Adam can do it. But otherwise, mm. he's not going to help. And he hasn't helped. And he doesn't help after that mm. segment as well. And the only reason they, you know, Hangman turns up afterwards is because Kenny announces that they got to go back. I, I just think it's mm. such a solidifying turning point for Adam that he has checked out the elite. He is not going to help in this match. Mm. But if Kenny shows up, he cannot let that go yet. That's yep. too important for him. It, it, it just sits in my mind as such a defining moment mm. for who Adam is and where he's going to go. Yeah. All I'll add to that, that's fantastic. I, I love that. <laughs> I love what you just said there. <laughs> um, all I'll add is is them sharing a drink at the end is is, is such a unifying moment. Mm. You know, the I, I'm not sure how many times these guys shared the screen beforehand but you know at least in the last five times these guys have shared a screen it was the end of that revolution match where you had that moment where it looked like are the bucks and kenny about to kick hangman here like are they about to super triple super kick Mm -hmm. him and then you had that moment with hangman is he about to go for omega here and, and attack omega here and you know with hangman in the state that he's in at that point He's been sitting at home replaying that moment in his mind. And and these guys, they've all gone back and they've watched the tape of that match by by this point. They all know what was happening. They've seen that Hangman was like holding the ring the rope like he was about to do that. Hangman's seen that the Bucks and Omega were like looking a bit like they were ready to load up like they did on AJ Styles. And and the fact that they come in, they share this fight together. And then they share a drink and they not just they have their own drinks. They pour one another a drink Mm. Um, and alcohol at this point has been a point of contention between them. There's been times where Omega's taken a drink out of Hangman's hand because he's like, mate, we're working here. We're professionals. But not only do they share a drink, Hangman, Omega pours Hangman a drink and Hangman pours Omega a drink. And they're just like, 
let's put our differences aside. These guys are bigger jerks. The beef we have with them is greater than any kind of beef I have with you. Um, let's go and finish this. And it's just a unifying moment. And uh, before I before we pre-recorded, we recorded this, uh, I sent out a, a tweet and just saying, I'm recording about Stadium Stampede. What was your favorite moment? And overwhelmingly, people agreed with you. This is the part that people remember. And I think yeah. it's because, like, as we said, like we've had the silliness that was the Matt Hardy. And this is like the heart. There, there is comedy. There's like an element of comedy in it, you know. Particularly the way Hager like drags Hangman across the bar. It's, oh, stunning. Um, you know, yeah. But, but this is like the heart. This is emotional, and this is the coming together of two people that you want to see getting along, um, but aren't on the same page. Uh, so it, it's, yeah. It, this is my favorite part of the match as well. I, I love everything about this bar scene. It's perfect, right down to as you said that drink just flying, and and when they cheers, the milk and the whiskey just mix in together. Oh yeah, it looks completely gross. <laughs> I mean, and, and in Kenny Omega fashion, he's never on camera drunk a drink without basically pouring it all over himself and yeah. it's just so funny as well to watch like the milk just like pour yeah. down him yeah. and, and it just says so so much and you know you can sort of think back to this moment where Kenny is is really he's trying so hard for for Hangman you know he pours him the alcohol and, mm. and, and later on you know not long after this FTR comes in and there's this yeah. whole thing and the big it's poured on Kenny and Kenny even you know he grabs a beer and he toasts it and like he's Mm. really that concept of him pouring him that drink is it Mm. really shows Kenny is trying so very very hard um it it just feels like this was really well planned really well thought out uh and important when Mm. when you look back on it I just thought this is really like one of the the wow piss resistance moments of the matches Absolutely. We do have to leave the bar, unfortunately. It's a great, as I said, great scene, Um, but we do Mm. have to leave it. We return to the field with the Bucks and Jericho and Sammy, uh, and the first thing we see is Matt Jackson and Sammy Guevara brawling. They're sort of intercutting between what's going on, but we'll we'll deal with each pair um, Mm -hmm. separately. Uh, And Guevara, they're both using acrobatics to avoid one another before Matt goads Sammy into charging him and catches him in a Northern Light suplex, um, which turns into a locomotion Northern Light suplex, which turns into another one and another one and another one, and going running the entirety of the field. Libby, do you actually think they did the whole thing, the whole hundred yards, or or what? How do you think they they shot this? <laughs> <laughs> There's a part of me that goes. Matt Jackson and Sammy Guevara would try and do a like yeah. hundred yards of Northern Lights duplexes. You won't and do it. And there's also a part of me that Matt Jackson would go, "No, I'm absolutely not doing that." Um, yeah, I, they're definitely. I mean, oh God, who, who knows? I mean, definitely at this point, they, you know, that barroom brawl. I, I think. I mean, I don't know. There, there are definitely segments that are pre-taped, slotted in. Mm. <laughs> I think that. I hope the, the the Northern Lights suplexes were pre-taped and sort of cut to because that would just take <laughs> so much out of a person. Um, but it's also like, I absolutely adore it. Like, it's so ridiculous. It's so dumb. To me, it's even more ridiculous than the, the Matt Hardy pool segment. Uh, and I just absolutely adore the concept of them actually doing 100, 100 yards. Mm. In, in kayfabe, Yes, they did it. A hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, in shoot, I, I don't know. I, it seems very well cut together and, and mm. at the right moment. So I think they might have pre-taped them, but it's amazing. 
this is obviously an ensemble cast, but I've got a theory that like Semi Guevara is the main character of Stadium Stampede, and this is his worst day ever because there's <laughs> just like there's yes. there's this. Bro- I love how they intercut this with the brawl we're going to talk about between Nick and, and Chris Jericho um, mm. later, and they're, like, intercutting between it. But there's this brilliant shot, and it's, like, dead on, and all you see is, like, the like flipping over and coming around and just Sammy Guevara coming around, and the look on his face is just of, like, astonishment, dread, like, <laughs> worry. It's brilliant. Um, and it's just, like, the perfect kind of comedic silliness um, that we didn't see enough of, I think, in, like, the 2021 20, version of mm. – um, uh, and, and the the version of Sammy Guevara we're getting today as well. Um, he is brilliant. It, Sammy Guevara is brilliant in Stadium Stampede, uh, just the facial expressions and everything. Uh, and then, of course, this moment climaxes with Rick Knox um, giving Matt Jack they, – they, he gets the whole way. He does a touchdown dance. Um, I think it was a, a dance that – American viewers may understand. Um, I don't know. You're British. You may may or may not understand it. But I, Nick- I researched it afterwards. <laughs> oh, what is it? Tell me. Please tell me. So um, it's uh, a reference to a wrestler called Alex Wright, uh, who I think was in ECW. Oh, and he, okay. he, his gimmick was like a German discotheque vibe. So he would always <laughs> go down to the ring, like doing like ridiculous dancing. Oh, uh, like, like it was like, uh, and I think his entrance music was like Europop. So like Matt was just kind of, I think, just calling back to what in his mind, maybe one of the most ridiculous sort of like <laughs> dancing elements he could yep. think of. But Rick Knox rightly gives him a yellow flag for excessive celebrations. And then Matt Jackson, because it's Rick Knox, Matt Jackson gives him a super kick. <laughs> so cherry that. on the cherry on the cone there, on the ice cream there. Um, we then, of course, at the same time, and as I said, these are inter, inter, happening at the same time and cutting between them, um, Nick Jackson and Chris Jericho are brawling. Jericho throws Nick into the mouth of, like, the Jaguars logo, um, mm. There's like a 3D Jaguars logo and Jericho throws Nick into the mouth of it. It's nearby where they're brawling. Um, this brings out the mascot for the Jacksonville Jaguars, Jackson DeVille, who taunts yep. Jericho with like some crotch thrusts. Uh, and Jericho responds hitting the Judas effect. Libby, I think if there's like one moment that sums up this match uh, in its entirety, that for me would be it. <laughs> <laughs> Just the pure ridiculousness of the moment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then after Nick gets up, uh, Jericho grabs the witch's hat and wears it as a witch's hat, like the orange traffic witch's hats, witch's cones, whatever you call them uh, in America, as he did in the street fight um, before Nick super kicks him through the training soccer goals. Uh, and he gets the line from JR. It's long enough. It's deep enough. It's good. Um, brilliant, <laughs> you know, just like organic, using what's around, like what you'd expect to see on a on a field. I think I think those goals, I would call them soccer goals, football goals, but I think they're used for like the kickers to practice into. They like yeah. kick into those, so it doesn't you know fly however long those <laughs> kicks fly. The game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but then Jericho uses his baseball bat to get back into the match. He gets a close two count with, but then Jericho challenges the instant replay um, and we get some great back and forth between him and Aubrey. Uh, I, I just love the chemistry between Chris Jericho and, and Aubrey Edwards. Oh, a hundred percent. And it also felt very right for, for Aubrey. Like, yes, she would be involved in this somehow, you know, she's, she's a character within AEW itself. And for, for Jericho to not 
uh, challenge her, I think, would would have been strange. Yeah, those guys have got old country beef at this point. So. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and after Matt has is done um, with Sammy Guevara and, and suplex him the whole the length of the field, he joins Nick and the pair combined to take down Jericho. As you said, that numbers game, um, taking them out, uh, having Nick splash through the tables. He's running down like the grandstand, down all of the stairs of the first level and gives Jericho a big splash through the table. And then just to sort of cap this scene off, Hangman then comes out with a line marker and draws it over Chris Jericho. Yeah, it's so it, it's it's such a perfect little moment to to end that, especially with mm. the tensions between like Hangman and the Bucks for for Hangman to just come out at the end and to get that sort of pop moment by doing the line marker over him and Matt and Nick just in the back like, excuse me, for him to <laughs> finally show up. This is the first time Matt and Nick have seen Hangman this whole mm. time, apart from when he was on the horse at the beginning. For him to finally show up also just felt, it felt like it spoke volumes to how uh, sort of like, if was Hangman around the corner the whole time not helping? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I think it was such a good little, little tidbit so also their their kind of ongoings as well mm. and the match enters its final stanza we're back with semi the main character as i said <laughs> uh, on his day from hell and things just keep getting worse he's crawling along the turf and what happens of course the sprinklers start getting him wet of course and he's floundering around as i said i just love like i love semi Guevara showing ass brilliant like yeah brilliant not enough of it happening at the moment. Um, too much of a bro for my liking right now. Um, but you oh, know, yeah. in this, in this, extremely likable and very, very funny to watch. And then we hear the rumblings um, of the the buggy that's piloted by Kenny Omega and Matt Hardy, and both men are ranting like they're like some anime cartoon characters. Bryce oh, Remsburg is like just busting his ass trying to keep pace next to the, it. The concept that Bryce thinks he can keep up <laughs> and that he that that so also funny. like he's gonna be there because sammy is he's gonna be hit it. by the golf buggy and someone's gonna have to count it like <laughs> just the absolute stress you feel of bryce rinsberg at that moment is so funny to me and yeah. the fact that as well sammy was like thinking that he won before this moment for them oh, yeah, to show that. up is just it's just absolute gold i love it so much Sammy, of course, is running for his life at this point, having PTSD flashbacks um, <laughs> and, and gets into he, he gets to the end of the field, climbs up into the into the stands. But he eventually gets cornered on a platform that's set up uh, above one of the entrance tunnels. He brawls with Hardy and Omega. But then Neo, the drone, makes his debut, distracting Sammy enough for Omega to hit a real flush V-trigger, gets Sammy up on his shoulders. And it looks like he's just going to do a one-wing angel, but then he steps forward and does an absolutely bananas insane one-winged angel with the pair falling a good, like, I'd say, like, five metres or so onto some, like, wooden padding that's been set up below. And this gets the three from Omega. The Elite celebrate dousing Omega with Gatorade and then fireworks go off in the background and they pose together to end the pay-per-view. One for the good guys, Libby. Um, yes. What an incredible ending. What did you think of the like this ending stanza? 
I mean, I loved it. Um, I felt like we left on a really good point with the Young Bucks. Um, and then moving to this, the fact that there was a platform set up in the seats, I was at a point where I was like, yeah, that yeah, seems about anything. right. Yeah. <laughs> that seems about right. Uh, sure, the elite set that up before. I didn't even occur to me until afterwards, like, huh, that's interesting. Uh, and that one thing. The cameraman this... was meant to be there. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was there waiting. Appreciate yeah. that. So, yeah, the Wang Win Angel was crazy. Definitely, like, a big, big way to end the match. Like, a real climax mm. of just, we've gone through all these different things. What's the big thing that can really end this? You know, we've, we've gone through pools. Mm. We've gone through bars. We've jumped field goals. We've done 100 yards of northern, like, suplexes. Um, for... Kenny to do this at the end I think is it was just perfect we all know Kenny does not like high spots <laughs> but he'll do them so as well this is kind of like it's almost like Kenny giving back in this moment mm. like wanting to do something really amazing and I mean <laughs> poor Sammy Sammy's obliterated and what I think is really significant is that once the pin is done that all the elite jump into that pit and they're all just grabbing at Kenny to just mm. try and get him out of there. Like, it's it's very much this moment of, like, they want to look after him mm. and get him out and, and celebrate. Um, and then, interestingly, you know, they have they have this, they have this lovely, it felt very emotional watching it now, mm. like, where we are with AEW, to see them all celebrating together. Maybe, yeah. like, feel very emotional. I was like, wow, when, like, was it really this long ago that, like, this was happening? Mm. It's, it's crazy. That after the just absolute charming fact that Matt pours Gatorade over Kenny yeah. and they're laughing. <laughs> and that's um, like another football reference, right? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's just like it, it's totally cashed in on on the fact that they're in a stadium and they're celebrating mm. like they won a game. Um, Adam is just clutching to Kenny, mm. keeping Kenny up. And he's the only one actually keeping Kenny up. And then Matt turns to hangman you know they're in the midst of all laughing and celebrating mm. and he turns to hangman and he says where were you and hangman just suddenly his face drops and he just shakes his head uh it, he doesn't really have an answer and it's this moment that the rest of the elite are celebrating kenny is trying to keep all of his bodily pieces in one mm. um but hangman is suddenly struck with the fact that he didn't participate in this match. He wasn't there with the elite. They're all celebrating this win, but really he wasn't there, you know, at the brawl in the beginning. He, he wasn't there to go through the stadium. He went to the bar. He had his fight. Mm. He left. Uh, and the end was, you know, Kenny taking out Sammy and then Hangman was there for the win at the end. And you sort mm. of get this feeling, this sudden wave of almost regret through Hangman's mm. face compared to the rest of the elite and you see him pull away from Matt and he just goes over to Kenny and and focuses all his attention on, on keeping mm. Kenny up like this one remaining sense of of connection mm. in the elite and uh it, it's very bittersweet to look at it like they're all hitting their poses and the fireworks are going off but you can't help but notice the sort of pained look on Hangman's face as if he's come to a realization of that no, he like he's realizing, oh, I wasn't present for this apart mm. from when Kenny came and saved me. So mm. it, it's this very again, it ends on this high note. It's great. And then you've got this little bit of 
of story or of page that's not mm. forgotten um and just watching the fireworks go off and then it fades to black mm. with that scene at the end it really like felt like this ending to the stadium stampede mm. and, and this feud but also the beginning of something else for the elite yep. but maintaining the integrity of their characters who they are what they've been through all, all those things we're talking about with like the things that we love about the elite and like Man, the the Matt the Matt Jackson and Hangman Page thing is almost like more complex than Kenny Omega and Hangman. Oh like, boy! He kind of is like, can you guys just kiss or fight? Like, please <laughs> put us out of our misery. <laughs> truly, truly, it's it's this amazing thing that that still lives today, mm. you know. And, yeah. and there was definitely this sense of, you know, not forgetting what happened in Japan with the Bucks and the Golden Lovers, mm. and also this sense of that. Um, you know, the Young Bucks have spoken before about how they really wanted to build everything around Hangman mm. and do it at the right pace. And they really wanted to use what, you know, Bucks versus Golden Lovers and that tension and transport it to AEW in a new way. Mm. Um, and for this to... Which they managed magically. They, mm. they have, and they've done it so well. And it's much like a lot of the things the elite do well is that they don't, repeat the past they just don't forget it and it informs things and there is this this idea of that you know this toxicity between them they can't help but repeat the past they make the same mistakes what mm. can be different is how they react to them and the mm. environment they're in um and for this stadium stampede match to to be part of that and i think a very clear indication of a different path for hangman i think it it's such a cool little part of of that story mm. um that that this bizarre very unique format is part of that of that tale of that change uh, and, and of that move mm. Mm. it's I mean, just the one-winged angel at the end as well. I just want to go back to that because yeah. it's so high, and that is like <laughs> a really dangerous move to be taking at that height. Sammy Guevara is a mad lad, absolute mad lad, as yeah. is Kenny Omega. Like, what a bonkers way to end the the match. You know, as we said, like, what can potentially end the match? Well, the most devastating finisher in all of wrestling from – you know, five meters high. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 Absolute yeah. Uh, ginormous climax um, for it. And the scale, we talked about the scale uh, that's so that we saw at the start with the stadium. We see like that final shot. We see the scale again, where like the elite light up the board. We've got fireworks going off in the background. It's just beautiful moment at the end of the pay-per-view. Absolutely agree with everything you've said there about, the tent, the sort of the, like the the celebration, but the tension. Uh, I didn't feel that tension until I did a rewatch, until I, I'd seen it again. Because I think, look, in the moment, I was just so swept up by this whole thing. Um, yeah, as you said, like by the by the time they got to that platform, like they could have done anything, and I would have gone along with it because of how they'd structured this match so perfectly. As we said, like easing it in, balancing the silliness and the heart, uh, and then the big climax at the end, which is a huge climax that, that absolutely fits the the ending of this style of match. We've we, we mentioned that our both for both of us our favorite bits is the bar scene. Um I, I just wanted to to throw to the guys who did 
respond to um, the tweet that I put out beforehand. So if you're not following me, Sir underscore Samuel, um, every now and again before I record one of these things, I'll, I'll throw something out, I'll throw a question out or something. So um, the people who 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 responded, Mike. Uh, Preventure at Rebel Fox. Everything about the bar fight from are you here to fight or drink? Uh, honestly, what's the difference to the debut of the buckshot lariat off someone's back? So he also oh. picked up how it was done later. Uh, and then Matt Jackson's 100-yard Northern Light suplex um, stands out. Craig from Pro Wrestling Musings, um, that's at Craig PW Musings, says Jericho arguing with the ref, so we're arguing with Aubrey, which we both loved as well. Howard Schilling, and I think this is a really good tweet. Um, so that's at Howard underscore E underscore Schill. Um, he said, the fact it seems like a fever dream. We're in the middle of a pandemic. It's weird. It's chaotic. I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, we'll get into talking about that in the legacy because the timing of this match is so such an important part, I think, of what made this match so special. Wrestling Rhymes, Dan from Wrestling Rhymes says, just hangman on a horse, to be honest, uh, as did Bram Bram Bigelow at Stu Bram 2. Hangman's arrival on the horse and chasing Sammy down. Trish Spears, 48, agreed with us. The bar brawl. She also mentioned the field goal. And more love for the bar brawl from uh, the Jerryest Jer at the Jerryest underscore Jer. Uh, and then lastly, the exalted Dom, Dom underscore Delonge, Ortiz selling, getting his bell, lung, bell rung, literally. <laughs> so, <laughs> it was so ridiculous. Yeah. So ridiculous. A lot of love for all the parts of this match. As I said, like, the thing that I think, what I, because everyone likes this match, and, and there's lots of cinematic matches that have happened since and happened beforehand, particularly in 2020. But what I think, like, makes this match great uh, is the structure. Even though it does go for a long time, it, it feels like a breeze, like it watches really quickly. Uh, and that's because they've got like a really clear narrative direction for every scene and a really clear narrative direction for the entirety of the match. The The overarching narrative is like that the good guys can win and they can win it by being themselves. They're you know, like irreverent selves um, with their hijinks that people hate. Uh, they can beat these like serious usurpers to their throne. And in every single scene, there's like a setup where the good guy gets like an early moment. Then the bad guy takes advantage and gets an advantage. But then through like some sort of wacky hijinks, some sort of hilarious thing, the good guys get the win. Uh, and that's the same in just about every single scene that we talked about. That's the same it, it, the way that it works across the whole thing. Uh, and as you mentioned as well, there's like a an, a, an ongoing theme of, of like the numbers game. Yeah, like it, it's in this completely nonsensical format with all these crazy things going on. They managed to find this thing that makes sense, which is that, you know, you have to it's a team game and it, it's about using these moments to go all over the stadium mm. and to take out them one by one. We literally have some of the craziest, silliest things people may have seen on AEW up to this point, but it just makes total sense as you move through the match. You know, they they find that the rhyme and the reason to get to get to that massive finish at the end. It's it's just very well thought out and it's also very genuine. Like yep. it feels it feels very like 
they were all invested in this they were all having a good time they all clearly put a lot of thought into this and a lot of thoughts put into the production um so the whole thing is just kind of it is like a fever dream but it's a welcomed one and for some reason it does make sense Mm. and and one thing i'll also add is like the gags and the the hijinks it's all organic it suits the setting that they're in uh, and uh, most of it stems from like long-term character store character arcs or or story bits or just easter eggs from the past um and this is where i'll start getting into the comparisons like the the one that the wwe tried to do that was like very much i felt like very much trying to emulate this was the uh the money in the bank race through their quarters mm. uh and and I think the difference is like the hijinks and the gags in that. Firstly, they didn't like set it up. As we said, like the way they set up this match where they started out with like just normal wrestling uh, and, and like it was a wrestling match that just happened to be happening in a stadium. And they slowly like moved things out and brought the hijinks started to come in and the more crazier and wackier elements came in slowly. Whereas that like straight away, it was, weirdness and and wackiness and the the gags were they they weren't fitting of what was happening yeah it didn't have the same sort of organic nature to it that i think this mat that this one had um and and that's why i think this one works and and also because this one also has heart it has like the serious moments it's not just 40 minutes of hijinks and comedy it's got the things like the barroom brawl like at the ending you mentioned you know there's a celebration but there's still like a note of story and character in there i think as well they like they did because you know the elite they are crazy mad scientists and they can they probably could have gone even wilder if they wanted to Mm. but there was this sense of these things happen in this environment the things that are there make sense and Mm. it felt like they had edited themselves and that they Mm. had gone okay this scene is happening now or we're going to cut between Mm. these two simultaneous things and this is why Mm. you know this person isn't involved here or this Mm. sets up this person to be out for a while to then come back up yeah i didn't catch much of that um wwe one Mm. but uh, am I right in saying it was like the me- it was like the men's and the women's? Uh, yeah, they did like them both at the same, at the same time. time. It's just too much. Mm. That just sounds like absolute chaos to me. There's no. It sounds mm. like the focus. Like this had focus. It had focus mm. moments throughout. Whereas this concept of it just sounds like there was maybe way just yeah. way too much going on. Um, yeah. In something like that. Also, to make to make a direct comparison, this is just for – I could go into a thousand gags of, in that thing that I don't think really worked because I just don't think the writers are very funny compared to mm. what these guys were doing. It, it wasn't as organic, but but there's there's bo- in both matches you've got a moment where some idiot on the – like some idiot bad guy thinks they've won it when they haven't. And in this one, it's Semi Guevara. It's right at the end. And he is literally like he's being taken out and he's waking up from that and thinking that he's the last man standing. You can buy it because within his moment, he's just woken up. He can't see anyone else around. He thinks that, oh, look, mate, maybe I, maybe I've won it, guys. Uh, maybe maybe we've won. Uh, in the WWE one, the moment is that they've been told at the start that the money in the bank is on the top of the roof and dana brooke for some reason because there's like a money in the bank briefcase in one of the boardrooms thinks she's won it in the boardroom uh and it's just like Mm. and and then it takes this weird intercut thing with stephanie mcmahon calling her an idiot that tells her that she's not it's not funny because it doesn't make any sense because like no one's that stupid 
mm. you know, from Sammy's point, he does look stupid, yes, but you can believe that he is that stupid. Um, yeah, yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And if the goal is that, like, if if mm. the the thread throughout has been, you know, people are being knocked off one by one, and it totally mm. makes sense that Sammy thinks everyone else yeah. is being knocked out, and he's the last yep. one. Yeah. Just to bring up other matches as well, did you watch the Boneyard match? I didn't. I didn't watch it. I've seen bits yep. of it, and I know it's very well received. I believe. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's probably the this one and and the Boneyard. I think there was lots of matches that were done in 2020 that were cinematic because wrestling organisations were just going, what What can we do? <laughs> like, how can yeah. we? How can we do it? And uh, people also really liked the um, Firefly Funhouse, which was uh in the like this altered state and sort of that was a complete fever dream that was like an lsd trip or something <laughs> um but but the boneyard match was uh, i i did a so at the time when i was writing for wrestling headlines at the end of 2020 we threw in an extra category to our match of the year stuff because uh, it had been like the year of cinematic wrestling of like what was the best one and the stadium stampede and the boneyard got like 80% of the vote between the two of them. Boneyard won out. And that one's that one has a lot less of the kookiness. For me, that was the uh, the other way that you can kind of do these things. And that was almost like it was um, a scene from The Expendables, you know, mm. where you've got like this old action hero who you love, you know, in those movies, you've got like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, Bruce Willis, um, and they get to be like the tough old grizzled action heroes that they were in the 80s but with like this grisly added vibe because they're now you know much older and it kind of lets you like relive your youth and think like oh i'm a middle-aged man at this point who's going bald but you know i can still be the like the (laughs) badass that i was in my 20s ripping and tearing and that's like what like that kind of it was that kind of action scene where it was like the undertaker playing his greatest hits in like a really cinematic and really well done manner that put over you know like the greatness of this character it's a very different match but that was like the other cinematic match that i would say really works along with the firefly funhouse but that's like a whole other thing that yeah, I, yeah. I, can't. Yeah. I think the thing about this i wasn't even a match <laughs> it was an experience yeah it really um, <laughs> the thing about the stadium stampede as well is that it doesn't i don't immediately go in my mind stadium stampede oh that's a cinematic match it felt like it had cinematic moments, but mm. it existed within this wrestling sphere, within this mm. kind of rationality of them being in this stadium and using it. And also, like, there were moments that are, you know, it starts in that wrestling. And then we have these more like scenes, cinematic mm. scenes, than the whole thing being cinema. And I think that also sets it apart from a lot of cinematic matches is that it's this kind of hybrid of mm. what a cinematic match is and wrestling and what AEW AEW mm. does and stands for in it in a way I sort of feel like it's made its own category of, mm. of within the cinematic like wrestling genre it's sort of this blend of a lot of elements rather than just mm. trying to deliver cinema um, yeah. which I think maybe makes it a bit more genuine because, you know, mm. sometimes it can go over people's heads and sometimes people mm. do just they want to watch the wrestling. Yeah. Um, and I think this it blends these these things that mm. that makes it unique within uh, the mm. sphere of all the different cinematic matches that are out there. Yeah. And I think that this worked so much more successfully 
than the second one. Um, and not just because of the the fact that it, it happened during the pandemic and the second one was kind of during a live show. I don't think the second one had the same structure and the same discipline. Like the second one was kind of like, as you said, like there's a bunch of scenes, but they didn't have the the natural flow to them that this one had. Of course, it didn't have the wrestling at the start, um, which, as we said, like that was important for setting things mm. up. Uh, but then you had like these just random scenes where like, oh, suddenly FTR and Proud and Powerful in like a like a weird dance Underground sort of thing club. happening and, and then have a fight there. And then even though there's a pay-per-view going on next door, apparently the Jacksonville Jaguars are also doing like crucial like planning and, and coaching stuff. Of course. In the middle, you know, at 11 o'clock at night and, and they're interrupting that and stuff. And, and the gags aren't they're not set up in previous ways that like the gags in this were, they're not as organic. And I also think, and this is, I think the last thing that I want to to bring up is how important do you think it was that this happened at the time when it happened in the pandemic, when there was so much uncertainty in the world, how much, how much do you think that plays in, into making this match so special? I, I genuinely believe this, this match couldn't have happened without it being the pandemic. Um, mm. it, it is, it is a birth of AEW rising against any doubts that they couldn't survive this this mm. pandemic. It was born out of a situation that they said, we're going to make the best of. Um, and what I really loved about the pandemic time for AEW is that Daily's Place was its own character for this mm. time. It, it was its own living, breathing thing. And the stadium and having it and them going, why don't we do this? I just don't think it could have happened really in in any other situation because their hands were forced. Um, And it's so it's it's just so, you know, it was fun, um, but it still pushed us through stories. It Mm. still told us things. You know, I I think it's such a unique part of AUW mm. and its time and really important to to let people know as well what mm. AEW is about M- more than ever people were probably watching wrestling during mm. this time and AEW could have you know tried to really buckle down on you know what does a mass market product do we need mm. to you know stay alive in this time um such a young company but mm. instead they went the other way and they said no, we're different. We do things differently. We're the alternative product. Let's be alternative in this. Uh, and just just cashing in on that and cashing in on the the, the brilliance of, of all the minds involved in that, I think I think is great. Mm. And it also gave them time to plan this properly. You mm. know, it's not something you want to kind of stumble into. And it definitely feels like the street fight was like a good warm up for them to mm. learn how to plan for this um and the fact that it was the pandemic the fact that everyone was was there in that space all the time there was time around to to practice things Mm. and test things it just really couldn't have happened if they were on the road you know Mm. they would have had to really had to carve out some time um so it's just such a special unique thing that that made the best of of something Mm. very very bad at the time and, and and provided something great amidst Mm. it all and also something I think the wrestlers really enjoyed doing because you know the burnout was real and it was difficult Mm. and it was nice to see everyone Mm. just having a 
a, a great time and, and doing things that mm. that were not only really great to watch but were genuine because mm. it was genuine fun for them mm. yeah 2020 was a really like a really dark year mm. uh, and i i feel like in some ways, like there was all sorts of terrible moments, but this one was, I, I don't know what it's like in the UK, but it felt like around this time was one of the worst times in Australia. Mm. Uh, it was when, of course, lockdown had, was happening, but initially in lockdown, there was this kind of, it sucked, but there was like a surge of hope almost um, mm. and a, like a, we'll get through it together. But then the cracks started to show and that's when this that that was around about this time that the cracks were starting to show people were getting testy and and you started to see things that would you know flare up in all sorts of weird spots um later in the year but but this like was just a ray of sunshine in a moment where I was feeling really down and lots of people felt that way in the all of the commentary on that um the 2021 the, the list we did, 2021, where we got people to write stuff, everyone mentioned that, like, this was a ray of light in their life at the time. And also part of it, I think, is you mentioned in there, like, the meta thing was, like, how is this company going to survive mm. in a time where we have, like, wrestling, which needs a crowd, can't have a crowd? Uh, and, and how can they get through this against almost impossible odds? Can they band together and do it? And that's, like, the narrative of this match. The It's, like... How can the elite get back on the same page uh, and overcome this obstacle that has been beating them down, that's been beating them to the punch every time, and that's been dividing them and conquering them? Uh, and, and that's like such a unique blend of like the meta narrative that's happening at the time, the narrative that's happening. And then crucially, of course, as you said, like in every scene in this, the good guys win. Like, And that's just it's so positive and so uplifting in a time where we needed that. In, in every circumstance, the good guys win, and they do it by, as I said, they do it by being able to be themselves, um, by being able to to rely on the the kind of irreverent, positive people that they are. And even though there is that thread of tension, which has to be there because they're complex characters and they stay true to the characters that they are, um, it is still like overwhelmingly positive uh, and overwhelmingly uh, a, a victory for the good guys, which is just so needed at that moment. Uh, and it capped off what was just a an epically successful pay-per-view. You know, you had to start with, uh, you had Jungle Boy and MJF like wrestling each other to a standstill. You had Hikaru Shida triumphing over Nyla Rose. You had the brilliant John Moxley Brody Lee match, um, which I spoke about in in episode five of this uh, with Gareth. It was a triumph of a pay-per-view. They could pull it off at this point, and this was the crown jewel in it. Uh, Such a positive moment. I can see, obviously, people who are listening can't see, but you are nodding um, along with me. Uh, Did did you feel that way as well? Yeah, 100%. And what I wanted more than anything in that moment was just to AEW to be itself, to to deliver what I what I loved about AEW for mm. that that ray of light and and it did it didn't mm. it didn't try and take us to a place that that wasn't right for it you know we want people really wanted a great AEW feeling pay-per-view at the mm. time and, and they gave it they gave it to us mm. and it felt like AEW had evolved it felt like mm. this was something that that was them it was the word branded sounds bad but it was Mm. like it was their brand you know Mm. um and that's what we what we needed at that Mm. time was to see AEW stronger than than ever Mm. um 
shining not only a ray of light in that time for mm. watching it, but also to be excited for, for as we go forward mm. throughout this dark time. You know, this was great. And now this there's even greater things to come of, of, from mm. the outcome of this. It wasn't yeah. uh, like the end of an era. It was just mm. another part of it. Yeah, it was like a fist in the air. We will not be beaten. We're we're not lying down for this. A hundred percent. And yeah. the fact that you know, like stadium, we're kicking out at one. <laughs> <laughs> Full BT yeah. trigger style. Um, yeah. the, the fact that as well that you know they're having no audience. This was I I don't know how this would have been. And I probably would have loved it, but but being a live audience for this particular match, um. I reckon like it wouldn't have worked. And so this, this mm. little space that this existed in, that this pay-per-view existed in kind of benefited from the fact that there was no audience because they just mm. took this different route. Um, and it, it was, yeah, it was just a great, great moment. I think mm. in, in AEW's history. Yeah, absolutely. Double or nothing is a hell of a franchise. Like the first, the first ever pay-per-view they had and you have that Cody Rhodes match and the Dustin, the Cody Rhodes, Dustin Rhodes match, all that. And then this one oh, yeah. was the second one. And then the third one, the return of crowds. I've got a friend who was at that and he said it was like a religious experience. Oh, uh, I can I don't know. imagine. For the for the people out there um, listening, this is recorded a little bit before um, it's gone to air, but we're heading up to Double or Nothing. They've got a hell of a lot to live up to this this um, Double or Nothing 2022. Uh, and I just want to leave on on the question here, um, particularly given that we are heading up to Double or Nothing, and that's where they last year they did run a stadium stampede, even though they had a live crowd returning. And as, as I said, it was a mixed success at best. Um, I like the ending where they got back to the crowd, but I don't think it worked quite as well as I've sort mm. of alluded to. Do you think that this is a, a match type that they go back to ever again? I have mixed feelings about it because I think what I really liked about the second stadium stampede was that it felt like Sammy Guevara had been on a journey from the last stadium stampede to this one. And the fact <laughs> hey, that... main character, he, right? <laughs> exactly. And the fact that he finished that stadium stampede one-on-one with Sean Spears in the, the ring and got the pin compared to the year before where he was essentially turned to dust uh was it felt like a great culmination of of what stadium stampede can do i definitely i liked the second one it was different i don't think there was something so special about the first one that i i just i don't know i'd like to think it can continue going because i love that this this unique feeling that it has Mm. and that feels like AEW and it sets up it makes uh space for wrestlers to do crazy bits um Mm. and you know weirdly enough like you look back on the first stadium stampede and the several iterations of matt hardy uh the hundred yard (laughs) northern Lights suplexing that all like we we didn't question it we were like of course it's great and then in the second one when they were going through the offices and there was bits and stuff happening we kind of went you know it's less ridiculous but we weren't Mm. we we didn't buy in on it 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 didn't Mm. feel as genuine so i'd like to think if they did another one that there's a lot of lessons to be to be learned Mm. and there is maybe something there's a, a, somewhere in the middle where we, the audiences can be there for it. And also it has that charm of the first one where there was no audiences. So that really there was, mm. you know, they could go anywhere, do anything. You didn't have to worry mm. about who could see what. 
yeah i do i do very much feel like i don't want them just to do it because they can Mm, it's such a special thing yeah agree it should be protected so uh, i I can't see it happening for double or nothing Mm. hey maybe by this point they've announced there's going to be a stadium stampede i don't know in las vegas i mean from the experience geez really that could be wild i mean they did the whole caesar's palace thing before right um (laughs) and you know maybe they they do something crazy through a casino or i don't know but lesson lesson one for me would be make sure you've got the young bucks in every single stadium stampede or (laughs) at least putting it together because those guys are they're like they're the geniuses of multi-man matches and like i i give a lot of praise to them for how this was structured obviously it was a collaborative vision i don't actually know but just knowing what young bucks matches look like this is like seamlessly put together and flows like a Young Bucks multi-man match does. So um, that would be my lesson number one if I was to give up. The planning for the stadium stampede is is what's most important, I think. So we'll just see. I don't know. There's a part of me that wants to protect it, but there's also a part mm. of me that's like, no, other people should do it. Other should be out there. It should continue to exist as part of its legacy. It, it's it's a very mixed mixed mm. feeling. I'd like to yeah. think it can continue to go on. I definitely think that the the experience of WWE gimmick pay-per-views, which have been around for over ten years at this point, is that it dilutes the it dilutes the thing, uh, dilutes the gimmick. You know, you think of the hell the, the classic one is Hell in a Cell. Like when I was first getting into wrestling in two thousand eight, the Hell in a Cell was like mythical. Um, but now mm. it's just like it's something that happens every year and every second like everyone's had one. Whereas before it was like this crazy thing that like the Undertaker and Triple H were specialists in because they'd had so many and that was like a really special thing. But now it's like something that happens every year. And I think Stadium Stampede should be protected. And same with, I mean, same with, so far they've done that with Steel Cage, with Blood and Guts, with um, Dog Collar even. They've protected their gimmicks. And I really hope they do that with Stadium Stampede. Like I could go years without ever seeing one because it's such a big thing. And and as I said, like so much of the charm of this one is the timing that it was in. And even the second one, like the thing that worked the most was the return to the crowd and the reason that that worked so well was because it was the idea of it was that like this was AEW returning to its crowd so it was the art mirroring reality aspect mm. and yeah look i mean i i know not to bet bet against AEW right and bet against the elite like i'm mm. sure they could pull off something mental in las vegas if they wanted to or wherever they choose to do it but yeah i i'm of the mind that please protect an AEW. <laughs> Yes, and and even though it's a ridiculous, mm. unique situation, it mm. should make sense. We shouldn't just do a stadium yeah, stampede 100%. just because. The second one, it made sense that Inner Circle were like, mm. "We've done this before. We'll take you on in it." Uh, yeah. For it to come up again, I don't, I don't mm. know um, yeah. how or why. Yeah. But I do have faith in AEW that they wouldn't just, you know, just put it on a plate and give it to you without seeing the menu first. Yeah. Uh, look, Libby, we have hit nearly two hours. This is by far the longest one of these I've ever done. Oh my god! Like, no, that's all right. It's the it's the longest match we've ever done as well. So I, I ex- kind of expected this to happen, but I, I really appreciate you popping on today. Um, I just wanted to ask: Is there anything else you want to say about Stadium Stampede match, uh, or, or about anything around what we've talked about today? No, I think I just think it's it's a great uh, match. If you haven't watched it you should um if and it's if you are uh 
wanting to experience feelings <laughs> to go back and watch this now and see the elite come out to the being the elite music and to see the inner circle from before and what was going on and it, it's it's very it was very uh bittersweet and quite special it felt quite mm. lethargic to to re-watch it and it really made me think about today and, and where we are so it's mm. definitely worth re-watching and I just I will never ever forget the moment in my mind where Matt Jackson grabs Sammy Guevara's head and spikes it down like a football. <laughs> it's just so good. Like, and yeah. then just to see him like super kick Rick Knox, it's just, it just feels like just so them. It's a real serotonin moment. Um, yeah. And I, I couldn't recommend more, it's, especially now going back uh, and mm. watching it and just experiencing it. Agreed. Couldn't agree more with you there. I loved going back. I watched this before the last Double or Nothing as well. Um, I went back and rewatched this and rewatching it for this and digging in for the research that I did for the podcast was a joy. Um, I'm so glad that I did it. And I, I'm so glad that you, I was able to have you on today. You've br- brought so much detail along, um, so much heart as well. And, and I, I love how, how into it we've gotten. Um, so I really appreciate you popping on today, Libby. Uh, it, lastly, if you could just let the people know if they want to chat to you, find you online, find your work, what, what can they do? Where can they find you? So you can find me on Twitter at Libby underscore Cadman, C-A-D-M-A-N. I also write for wrestling. Um, I talk a lot about um, sort of uh, AEW, um, a lot of sort of textual analysis on the elite and their past and their history. Tweet a lot about Japan, uh, the scene there. Um, You will find me deeply feeling about (laughs) um so if that's that's your stuff come come check me out come say hi um it's been an absolute pleasure to come and and talk about this Mm. match with you i absolutely love it um and yeah i i hope uh if anyone does come and and check me out that to you know they enjoy enjoy what's there yeah i'll I'll give a shout out just to wrestling in general um it's a fantastic website i I love reading their stuff especially if you love getting into the the story and character um wrestling for me that's that's the place to go for that so uh if you've if you've loved listening to this today and the the way we've geeked out and nerd out nerded out about that sort of stuff you'll love going to wrestling so so give the side a look yeah and if it's if aw isn't your thing we have there are people who are just just as fervently passionate about the joshi scene about wrestling history and mm. all of that and it's it's definitely worth um you know there is something i always like to say there is something for everyone at, yep. at the end hey there's there's many seats at the end what can you say exactly exactly hey, including one yeah. for you sam <laughs> <laughs> i've got i've got way too much on my plate for, for, <laughs> for doing another lot of columns Libby. i've, I've been down that game i've written a hundred of them <laughs> i'm tapped out at that but (laughs) love i love the work you guys do there anyway look the good people you've you've spent a long long enough listening to me and if you've listened this long I, i really appreciate it uh i i've absolutely been loving doing the podcast of course we've got double or nothing coming up which will mark a new year uh, for the match guide. So we're going to be getting a new match guide coming out um, for the year that we're currently just finishing up for AEW and that will finish at double or nothing 
2022 so we'll be having a new list coming out which will mean a whole new list of whole new set of podcasts that we can do and i'd love to have you back for something libby um we'll work out those details afterwards but if you want to to talk to me about this match to to let me know what your favorite moments were if we missed anything if we uncovered anything for you please let me know you can find me on twitter sir underscore samuel uh, and i love i love hearing your thoughts there as well uh but thank you for listening Libby, thank you once again. It's been an absolute pleasure. uh, And I cannot wait to do this all again for another match next week. And I will see you then. Thanks for listening to the AEW Match Guide podcast. If you enjoyed the show, then you can subscribe on the podcast app of your choice so you never miss an episode. Also, feel free to let me know on Twitter at Sir underscore Samuel. I'd love to hear from you. The AEW Match Guide podcast is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network, where you can find many other fantastic podcasts discussing not just AEW, but all parts of the world of professional wrestling. Looking forward to seeing you again next week. I'm Sam Brown.